Thank you for listening to this week's message from Go Church. We hope it encourages you today. For more information about Go Church, check us out online at letsgo.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. I am so excited to see your beautiful and handsome faces today. Let's do this. Let's put our hands together. Welcome anybody who's here for the first time. Thank you guys for being our special guest this morning. And let's keep it going for everybody who is streaming right now live. Thank you guys so much for being a part of our family, our team. We're praying for you today. I want to encourage you, if you're online streaming, to leave a comment. We have some great moderators who are online today. So take a minute, say hi, interact. We love that you're a part of Go Church with us this morning on streaming. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you, even going back to childhood, how many of you ever had some drama with your parents when it came to the idea of a clean room? Can I see a hand? You're getting back some repressed childhood memories in this moment? Let me ask, let me ask you this. How many students do we have here in the house? Students, raise your hand. Where are my students at? Yes. Come on, raise your hand. Student, 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 student. Yes. Students, let me ask you a question. Just between me and you and the internet and your parents, how many of you in the room have ever had an argument with your parents about cleaning your room? Here in the room, can I see a hand? All of the same hands. Okay, so last week we had dinner with the staff at our house Tuesday night, which means Monday... I was talking to my boys, Ethan and Levi. Now, normally they do a pretty good job. I must say, normally they do a pretty good job keeping the room clean. Had a conversation Monday. I'm like, look, boys, people are coming over. You never know. Might come down here to the bedroom, see the basement, see the things. We're going to make sure and have the room clean, right? All the parents nod your head. Yes. Yes. Nice. Have the room clean. Have the room clean. So we're talking about cleaning the room. And... I began to think about this. I began to think about this week's message and kids and life and conflict and room. And I wanted to give the students here in the room a little insight, okay? A little behind the scenes because sometimes I think it's hard as a student to really get it, the dad perspective. I'm going to give you dad perspective of this whole room dynamic, right? So maybe you're a student, my own kids, you're here, you're a student. Maybe you're like, my parents always make such a big deal about the room. What's a big deal, you know? What's, why do they care so much about this? So I want to give you some dad perspective. I can't speak to all the moms. But here is the dad perspective. When the dad comes up to your room and he is, he is holding in his heart just the slightest hope that maybe, maybe this time it will be already clean. Like it's in there, but they open the door and it's like, oh, it's not happening. So here's what happens in the dad's mind. The dad thinks, I am a failure. (laughs) So the dads think, okay? Students, just be aware. This is what dad thinks. I am a failure. I have not prepared my son for the real world. I have not taught him the things. It's like somehow in the dad mind, in the dad heart, The clean factor of the room is reflective of your probability to be successful in life. And so it's like, I haven't prepared them for the real world. I don't even know if they're going to finish high school. If they somehow make it to college, they're probably going to flunk out. They're going to lose their first three jobs. They're going to end up either right back here in this room, which isn't good, or living in a van down by the river. This is what's happening, students, in the mind of the dad. Okay? This is what's happening. 
So let's flip it. I like to imagine, and I've talked to my boys a little bit, I, th- I think something like this is happening maybe with the son or the daughter, right? So that's like dad perspective, so let's flip it around. Let's go like son perspective. The son is probably like, what's the big deal? It's just a room, right? What's the big deal? The son might be like, dad, my girlfriend is fighting with her best friend at school right now. The school is literally taking sides. I'm caught in the middle. This thing happened in sports. This other thing happened with my friends. This other thing happened while driving on and on and on and on and on. And you're fussing about socks? Like, you don't get me. Like, you don't get it. It's just a room, right? And then dad yells, son yells, Dad yells, son yells, dad yells, son yells, and then mom yells. <laughs> Who wants a snack? <laughs> this mom. At least it's this mom. My lovely wife, Becky. It's the art of redirection, right? Applied to every good mother all throughout time. Let's just redirect this with some food. Everybody eat, take a breath. Why is it that we fight the most with the people that we love the most. Isn't that strange sometimes? But we have the biggest blow-ups with the people that we truly do love the most. And I want you to think about this today. What relationships in your life do you currently have tension? What relationships that you care desperately about right now you know could get better, but you don't really know how or what's your role to play? Where is God in this, think about maybe work relationships, an employee situation, a team thing, or get super, super primal and just think about your kids or your spouse, or if you're here, you're single, think about friend, best friend, boyfriend, girlfriend. Are there relationships that you're experiencing a significant level of conflict within the dynamic of this relationship? What should we do? Where is God in this? How can we make this better? How can we change? How can we get some traction? I think God is going to speak to us today, and I want us to open up our heart, open up our mind, learn something today. Everybody say learn. So look, in this series, The Beatitudes, we've been talking about the right attitude to approach this teaching from Jesus, and it's one of a perpetual learner. To say, I'm willing to learn like you just did, means... I'm admitting I don't know it all already. So I'm dialing down the ego factor. I'm cranking up the humility factor. And I want us to also elevate the hunger, the thirst, the desire to really understand God at a new level in our life. So today, let's learn. Can we do that? Can we smile? Can we say, we're going to learn? God teach us. I want to learn. I want to grow. Brings us to the one big thing. Grab your communication card. Flip it right over to the back side. And grab a pen. If you don't have one, grab one. And let's write this down right across the top. One big thing, I will be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Think about this today. I will be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Matthew 5, 9, we're continuing this series on the Beatitudes. If you're here for the first time in this series, this is the beginning of the most famous message that Jesus ever taught, ever preached, Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mountainside. Now, we've got to remember the tone of this teaching. If you're a musical person, it's like a major chord, not a minor chord. This is joy. This is 
optimistic. This is fresh spiritual energy in your lungs feeling in this teaching. So here's how to be blessed. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now I want to read that again. And when we get to that word peacemaker, I want you to say it out loud, loud with some unction. Help me. Blessed are the for they will be called children of God. Let's try it one more time. Blessed are the peacemakers. peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Maybe even work this backwards. If I were to ask you, do you want to be a son or a daughter of God? You want to be a child of God? Most of you would probably say yes. If the second question is, do you want to be blessed? I think most of us would say, yeah, I would like to live under the blessing of God. Then make peace. Work it backwards. If you want to experience the blessing of God, you want to be called a child of God, learn how to be a peacemaker. So let's learn together today. Everybody say learn. learn. William Barclay, author, writes this. In Hebrew, peace, this idea of peace, peacemaker. In Hebrew, peace is never only a negative state. It never means only the absence of trouble. In Hebrew, peace always means everything which makes for a man's highest good. When we talk about this a lot in Go Church, when we talk about our value of love, unselfishly choosing for the highest godly good of another person, I want you to think about this idea of peacemaking, not just the absence of war, not just the absence of trouble, but somehow walking into God's greatest good for you. Somehow being a part of making God's greatest good available and real to another person. So much of the Bible is about interpersonal connection, communication, how to be, how to act. The Bible says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, my followers, by your love for one another unselfishly choosing for the highest good of another person. So when we're thinking about peacemaking today, let's think bigger than just the absence of war or pain. Let's think greater good, maybe greatest good. Parents, think about your kids, not just the absence of trouble in their life, but them attaining the highest possible godly good for their life. There's depth here. There's a richness here that I want us to really get. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he doesn't just mean I want your home to be trouble-free or your life to be trouble-free. I want you to be over the top, all the way, 360 degree, dunked into blessing. Soaked in blessing. That's God's heart for his children. So maybe open up your own heart to the possibilities of what could be. Now, when Jesus was sharing this teaching, you know, the Bible can never mean now something it didn't mean then. It's always very important to understand this with the Bible. We always read the Bible in context. So when we read a scripture like we just did, we want to understand what's happening before it, after it, how does it fit into that context is king. We want to understand how it fits into that chapter or that book or to the Bible as a whole. We want to think about the original people that were listening to Jesus. Sermon on the Mount, I think, was full of people who were the most committed to Jesus at that time, the disciples, and included them, 
but it also included a variety of people. I think some people who were skeptics, maybe didn't even believe. Maybe they came to make fun of this new radical teacher and all in between. I envision hundreds, if not thousands of people gathered around on the side of this mountain listening. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, this is a shocking statement because his audience would have been raised in teachings like, well, it's an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Now, students, listen to me. That's kind of a weird saying. You probably haven't heard that much. You see this kind of thing in the Old Testament. To them, Torah is the idea that if somebody does something to you, you can do something back to them. Somebody takes $10 from you, you're going to get $10 back. Somebody causes you pain, you can cause pain. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This is the kind of teaching that they're used to. So the idea of peace, the idea of blessing, I don't think it made sense in their mind. I think they were like, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. That's not what we've been taught. This is different. This is weird. But in a way, not much has changed, right? We still kind of feel like this. So drag that idea over into the here and now. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you talk bad about me, I'm going to talk bad about you. You gossip about me? Okay. You going to play that game? I'll gossip about you. You're going to lie to me? I got you. I'll lie right back. Oh, you're going to cheat on me. Okay, I'll get even. Cheat right back. Oh, you're going to cut me off in traffic? Okay, drop it down a gear, right back in front. Seal the deal with a special wave. Just praying for you. It's the idea of getting even. And that's what our selfishness wants. It's just what we want. We want to get even. We don't want to make peace. We want to get even, maybe plus one. Even just a little more because we got to win, right? Here's a tough truth. People who insist on always being right, they end up alone. Think about your relationships, how we started this. Do you want to be the kind of person that I'm going to win no matter the cost? I'm going to win the argument. I'm going to win the conversation. I'm going to win, win, win. Do you care more about winning than you do about that relationship? Because if you do, you might end up alone. Think about how this plays out. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are children of God. We make peace. We don't get even. So think about this. As followers of Jesus, it's a different way, man. Jesus went counter his culture, and following him today is still counter culture. We don't hate on our enemies. We pray for them. When was the last time you prayed for Vladimir Putin? besides for him to get shot or something. I mean, I'm just asking you. When's the last time you actually prayed for an enemy? When's the last time you prayed for a competitor? When's the last time you prayed for somebody that gets on your everlast nerve? 
We look for peace. We love those that annoy us, even people who are here to ski over spring break from Texas. We, 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 here's what we pray. God, let spring break get over quickly. Take them back. Take them back to Texas. But it's a different way. It's not an easy way. But what good thing is ever easy? Is a successful business easy? Is a wonderful God-centered marriage easy? Is living a disciplined life easy? No, it's not easy. Everything worth it is hard. So let's not be surprised if our relationships get challenging every once in a while. It's just a good reminder that, man, this is important. This is important stuff. And give God an opportunity. So think about this today already. Peacemaking, so clear. Challenging, I need to make peace, not war. Challenging, maybe I need to value the person more than valuing being right all the time. This is good biblical information. What should we do? How can we take action? I want to give you three action steps today. Write the first one down. Normally we have one. We're doing three today. Three big actions. Write the first one down. I will go with empathy. This is our first step. Going into a conversation going into an encounter with somebody else, I will go with empathy so powerful. You see it beautifully in the life of Jesus. And we're going to learn a scripture today. If you've never memorized a Bible verse, get ready, okay? We're going to memorize a Bible verse together right now. Let's see it. John eleven thirty five. 35. Let's all say the memory verse from memory today, all right? It is John eleven thirty five, 35, which says, Jesus So smart. But right, we always read the Bible in context, so what is he crying about? Is he crying because he ran out of Chick-fil-A sauce? Why is he crying? Jesus is crying because one of his very best friends that just recently died, he, according to his friends, should have shown up a little bit earlier and healed him and kept him from dying. But Jesus didn't show up early. He showed up later, after Lazarus had already died. So then Jesus shows up to this morning atmosphere. Like, imagine how awkward that is. Like, Jesus, we expected you to be here uh, three days ago. Now Lazarus is dead. Thanks for showing up now, though. Appreciate it. So Jesus is there. He didn't avoid the awkwardness, which I think is interesting. Many of us would have just ghosted that whole thing. Like, oh, it's going to be awkward, so I'm out. Jesus shows up. And I believe that Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I don't think he just decided to do that on a whim. I think he knew, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. God is going to breathe life. It's going to be transformative. It's going to somehow help all these other believers understand some things. But Jesus is with people who are grieving, Mary and Martha Lazarus' sisters, and other family members that were there, and they were, of course, crying, upset. I imagine ugly cry, or not just like, oh, it's so sad. I mean, just like the snot coming out. I mean, all the emotional crying is happening. And that's the context for that verse, Jesus wept. I think about that, and there's a part of me that if I were to put myself in the place of Jesus, there would have been a chance that out in something stupid, like, you know, turn that frown upside down. 
Don't you know that anything is possible with God? You never know what might walk out of the tomb. Huh? I'm here. Good thing I'm not Jesus. That would have been really weird and mean. But I think it's interesting, though, like Jesus knew he was going to raise him back, but yet was willing to feel what they felt. Are you willing to feel what somebody else feels? Even if you know something different's about to happen, something's about to change. Parents, think about this. Are you willing to feel, try to feel what your teenager is feeling, even if you know the future a little bit better than they do? You look back on the lessons that you've learned, but to the teenager, they're learning some of these lessons for the very first time. You know in your head, the future will be okay. It's going to work. The teenager is like, it's all falling apart right now. Panic, panic, intense, intense, now. But are you willing to slow down and be like, I feel this with you. This is hard. And, and feel that. Not even try to change it. Be like, I'm sorry. This is so hard. I'm sorry that relationship didn't work. I'm sorry you didn't make that team. Man, that just, that's so hard. Are you willing to feel? Think about your team member, the person you're leading, that person at work. Are you willing to feel what they feel? This is something that really helps me, I think, as a leader. So from counseling to ministry to negotiating things, I ask myself this question all the time. I'll think about the person that I need to connect with or talk with, and I'll think, how do they feel? How do they feel? I try to put myself in their position, in their place. Maybe they need respect. Maybe they need somebody that will just listen, not try to offer a solution, just listen. Maybe there's a family that has somebody who's on the brink of death, and all I need to do is just be with them. I don't need to say anything. I just need to be there with them. What do they need? Am I willing to feel what they feel? It changes the whole dynamic. So instead of you saying, how can I win? Or how can I look like I have my stuff together? Or how can I bring up that one point from that article that I read last week? I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. Zinger! Are you willing to do what Jesus did? Felt what they felt. And Jesus still raised Lazarus from the dead. It didn't stop him from doing what he knew needed to be done. Somehow it connected. I want you to be challenged by that today. So dads, let's go back to our very beginning idea, example. Dads. Conflict, man, it happens so fast, right? Like if you're on top of the double black diamond, you point the skis down. How many of you know? Fast. It's like conflict is zero to 60 in a Tesla ludicrous mode. Fast. It happens fast. So when we ask this question, how do they feel? I find it helps me at least take the foot off of the accelerator a little bit and start to slow things down. So dads, as you're walking up to the bedroom door, you're wondering, has progress been made on the room, right? Instead of just opening up the door and going off on your teenager, 
like pre-planned. Like, you know how it's going to work. Open it up. Bah, bah, right? Instead of that, fire breathing. I incinerate the cesspool of a room. What if he said, I'm going to slow down. And I'm going to ask this question. How do they feel? How do they feel? What could be going on in their heart? What are the things that I know they've been worried about? What if you go in, and instead of just going off about the room, you just go in, and you're like, all the stupid questions that teenagers never answer, like, you know, how is your day? Fine. Anything interesting happened? No. <laughs> but you just keep asking. And you're in there long enough where things start to work. And maybe come to find out, yeah, actually, we broke up today. And they're super sad. And they're bummed about it. And you could talk about that. Think about the opportunity to connect. Dad, the opportunity to say, man, I had this really bad breakup one time. And you just kind of tell them. And it was so hard. It wasn't like till a month or two later that I kind of got myself back together. And this next thing happened. And if you want to talk more about it, I'm here for you. I'm going to try to fix it. Just be like, I'm just going to hurt with you. I'm just here. Dads, would you rather have a conversation like that, or would you rather just go in, fire breathe the room, yell, and leave? Sons and daughters, let me talk to you. Maybe you start to understand that the reason my dad gets so fired up about the condition of my room is because he is ruthlessly in love with me. And for whatever reason in his weird dad brain, he thinks the way that I keep my room is reflective of the probability of me becoming something later on in life. And what if, as a son or daughter, you said, you know what, it's really not that big of a deal to me, but I know dad's going to check later, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to clean it up. I'm going to clean it up because I know it's going to make him feel good. And I know he loves me, and I want him to feel good. And teenagers, maybe think about this. Maybe your dad or your mom have been cleaning up messes at work all day. Maybe professionally, all they do is look around, and it's just mess after mess after mess, and they are a little bit discouraged about it. Maybe you decide, you know what, I'm going to just choose to do this for the highest good of my dad, and while you do it, you pray for him. Maybe when he checks, because you know he's going to, and it's already clean, you just say, hey, dad, I just want you to know, I was thinking I'm praying for you today. Thanks for loving me. I love you. Thanks for caring about me. It'd be awkward to say, like your teenager mind, you'll be like, I can't say that, it's so weird. <laughs> Do it anyway! <laughs> how could your dad feel? When was the last time you thought about how does your mom or your dad feel? How does your behavior or your choices make them feel? It takes discipline for adults and teenagers and kids to ever think about how does someone else feel? That is an act of discipline, which means adults, we need to be better at this. Teenagers, you've got time. Second thing, write this down. So first, I will go with empathy. Second, I will go quickly. The Apostle Paul, he writes to normal human beings, okay, like us. He writes to a church, think about Go Church. He writes to a church that's in Ephesus, not in Denver, but it's people who follow Jesus, people who love the Lord. They're having interpersonal problems. And he's writing this letter to them. Give some advice. Here's what he says. Ephesians chapter 4. And don't sin 
by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anger is mentioned three times in this scripture. What I really want you to see is the timing. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. So could it be that anger could at times control your timetable? Sometimes it works the other way. I'm mad this conversation will happen now. Fire breathe, the whole thing. But sometimes, what do we do? Delay, right? Like the heat gets cranked up, the heat gets cranked up just hot enough where it boils over, and somebody's like, do you remember six vacations ago when you, do you remember four years ago when you said that you were going to start still waiting? We don't keep short accounts. We keep accounts that are years long. And we will wait for that perfect moment to pull out that card and bam, I win. Wait, where'd they go? I'm alone now. Don't let anger control your timetable. Don't let anger boss you around. If you feel angry, it doesn't mean you have to lash out in anger. It's an emotion. You're not to be bossed around by what your selfishness says you should do or not do. We're followers of Jesus. We're not going to be bossed around by our emotions. We're going to be set free by what Jesus has done for our life. And Jesus didn't give his life, be resurrected from the dead for us to have a partially blessed life, all right? Jesus gave all of his life for all of our life. And we have been redeemed and saved and transformed to live a life that is reflective of God's goodness and his greatness in our life. Do you believe that, Go Church? Jesus has done everything plus for us to be able to walk in his blessing. Don't let anger or emotions control your timetable. The longer you wait, the worse it will get. How many of you know this? There's a conversation, maybe you know even right now, there's a conversation you need to have but you don't want to. Yeah? You don't want to. You're like, oh, I know I should. I know I need to talk to that person, but maybe time will heal all things. It won't. It'll make it worse. And you might end up wishing you had had the courage to have a conversation when it's six months later down the road and silence has defined the relationship. And to even bring it up makes it weird and it's toxic. And the longer you wait, the worse it gets. Like if you need a minute, like dads, you go to the bedroom, you open up the door. If you need a minute, please take a minute. But don't take a month. Trust the Lord. Timing. Don't let anger control your timetable. Number three, write this down. So we're already talking about, I will go with empathy. I will go quickly. The last one, I will go directly. Jesus teaches this in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, this is like if another Christian does something that offends you, hurts you, a brother or a sister, okay? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him what an idiot he is. 
never talk to him again, and unfollow him on Facebook. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him what he did without other people hearing it. This is the hard part. Because what do we typically want to do? Typically, we want to either ignore them. If somebody offends you, right? It's like, I'm done with them. Right? We just ghost them. Even if the person like, tries to do something to repair it, sometimes we're just like, you're not good enough. You already offended me. Damage already done. I'm done. They try to call you. You're like, mm-mm. I don't answer phone calls anymore anyway. Because when I do, I'm not in control of the conversation. Just text me. I will give you no bubbles in return. We either want to ignore them or we want to talk to everybody else but them about them. Okay? Jesus says, go directly to them. And what I think is interesting is the way that Jesus talks about this, it's not like if your brother sins against you, take a moment to realize they're pathetic and evil and they have no hope. Jesus doesn't do that. He goes, go and talk to them about what happened. So it's not like how we feel. Sometimes if somebody offends us, we feel like, oh, it's like a court of law. This is like you v. me. Me v. you. You against me, me against you. Sometimes we feel like it's you against you, you against you. Me against my kids, kids against me, me against my spouse, spouse against me. It's not like that. It's not you versus them. It's you and them versus the problem. What's the problem? It's not you versus your spouse. It's not me versus you. It's us versus the problem. What's the problem? Is it a sin problem? Is there emotional hurt? Is there a misunderstanding? Is there something that needs to take place for healing to come? I want you to think about all of these things. Ask Jesus for strength and help today. Peacemaker, not troublemaker. I'm going to make peace, not trouble. I want to be a child of God. I want to live under the blessing of God. I'm going to go with empathy. I'm going to go quickly. I'm going to go directly. Powerful things will happen. Think about all of the relationships in your life right now. Leaders, think about all of the people you're responsible to. Parents, think about your teenagers. Teenagers, please, today, think about your parents. Flip it around. Be like, I wonder what my mom and dad are feeling. I wonder how they could feel through all these last two years. Man, it's probably a lot of pressure. Maybe think about that. Becky and I, we were college student pastors. We were directing college student ministry at the University of Oklahoma before we did go church here. And every year, we had a large growing ministry. It was fun, great staff. Every year, we would teach what we called our leadership training class several times throughout the year. So we'd always have new students and we'd have a couple of kind of veteran leaders come and cast some vision, be a part of this training experience. And so one leadership training class session, I decided to mix, mix it up, which was not atypical for me, but I was kind of tired of the classroom. I'm like, get ready, bring something that you can run in Thursday night. So everybody shows up. We meet at the football stadium there at the University of Oklahoma. And I had set up kind of a obstacle course, if you will, for some of these students. 
and I wanted them to just experience some physical challenge, you know. So we had students who were super athletic, and we had students who didn't play sports at all in high school. So we had, you know, quite a range of people. And so the first thing I asked them to do was like run around the perimeter of the campus. So it was about two miles. So I'm going to go ahead and get warmed up and do a jog, do a run around the campus. So, you know, the ones who were in cross country or played soccer, you know, they were like, boom, gone, like smoke right out of the back, just gone. And they were back. I mean, in like, I don't know, 15 minutes or less. But there were several who they didn't run at all in high school. They were jogging, walking. Some were just walking. So they get back, you know, at different times. And so I had some other things going on while we're waiting. And then the very last event that we were going to do, we were going to run stadiums. That's why we met at the stadium. So we go into the stadium, south end zone, just like infinite stadiums to run, right? So we talk about this and... We're going to time some things and do some stuff and ready, set, go. So they start running these stadiums. And again, like the soccer playing, track people, basketball. I mean, they just like do it for hours. It looked like fleet of foot. And there were some other students who were like, I hate Nick. (laughs) It's the dumbest thing, you know, I've ever done ever. And so they're walking up these stadiums and then... I'm seeing the people running and I'm seeing the people walking. And that's when I noticed Lorenzo. Lorenzo was one of our veteran student leaders. He had led small group after small group, influential guy. Lorenzo was also in very good shape. I mean, single digit body fat, run for days. He could have just belted up and down this thing for an hour. I noticed Lorenzo see some of his other friends and students walking up the stadiums, not running. So what Lorenzo did is he stopped running and he walked over to the smallest and slowest group. And he just started to walk with them. And I'm like, so I'm getting a little misty eyed. (laughs) I'm like, that's leadership right there. See, sometimes in leadership, it's not about finishing first. Sometimes as a leader responsible to other people, you've got to slow down to somebody else's maximum capacity. And Lorenzo slowed down, but he made sure they crossed the finish line. I think Lorenzo in that moment was asking some of those questions. I wonder how they feel. Maybe they feel like they're not as fast as some of us. Or maybe they feel alone because everybody else is is kind of finishing and running and they're kind of by themselves walking. Maybe they feel alone, not a part of the group. I'm gonna do something about that. So all my leaders, all my parents, I'm asking you to think about this today. Is there an area in your life where you need to slow down? Not for you, but maybe for somebody else. Do you need to slow down to the pace of your teenager? You figured this out in life, what they're trying to get through, but it's their first time trying to figure it out. Maybe you need to slow down and walk with them a little ways. It'll take great grace, great patience. I mean, that's why God says we need God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the person who knows their need for God because we need God to do these kinds of things. And I'm praying that leadership would emerge today in all of us. Leaders, think about your teams professionally. 
Think about your families. Think about your neighbors. Is there an area of life where you could finish first? You could beat everyone else across the finish line, but it's hard to be inspirational if you're invisible. If you have outpaced your team, they can't even see you anymore. If you've outpaced your kids, they can't even see you anymore. You can't be inspirational if you're invisible. Get visible and maybe slow down. Put an arm around. Say, we both need God. Can we both pray? I don't know how to do this. I'm figuring out how to be a parent of a teenager, how to be a parent of a three-year-old, how to be a parent of twins for the first time. I need help too. Can we pray for each other? Let's pray now. God, we come to you as your children. Very first beatitude that you teach. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God, help us to know our need for you. We need you in our relationships. God, I pray that you would help us to make peace. I pray that you would help us to be leaders. And if there's an area in our life that we need to speed up or an area of our life that we need to slow down, if there's an area of our life that we need to attribute some more depth and richness to the idea of peace, not just the absence of tension, but to help somebody find your greatest good. God, help us to play our part. Help us not to delegate away our responsibility or to delegate away the calling you've put on our life, the calling that you've put on us as parents, as leaders. God, to never delegate that away, but to allow that calling to push us into your presence. God, today we say no to selfishness. We say no to pride. We say no to ego. We say there is a better way, and we need you, God, to help us walk into this, to be fully blessed to be fully submitted to you. God, help us to remember today that the way we behave, it reveals what we believe. Help us to look at our behavior and be challenged to push into you. I want to see where you're at. If you're here today, you love Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. You love God, but God has been challenging your heart today. You've been thinking about a relationship. You've been thinking about a conversation, and you know you need God's strength to make this next step happen. Can I see a hand in the air? I just want to see where you're at. Oh, man, yeah. We're all together in this. Blessed is a person that knows their need for God. You're on your way. Let's be praying for each other this week. The most important relationship, hear me, that you could ever have, peace, is with your relationship with God. To have a relationship with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. God loves you so much. He is head over heels in love with you enough that he proved it by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth 2,000 years ago to live a life without mistake, without sin. He lived that perfect life, and then he laid that perfect life down for our messed up lives so that if we will believe what he did was enough, we can be forgiven and be known and have hope here and hope into eternity. We can be saved. We can be transformed. Do you know him? Or do you just know some things about him? Do you live according to Jesus' teachings? Or do you just show up to a religious event every now and again 
and hope that that's enough. You're missing out on so much joy, so much blessing, so much purpose, so much healing, and it starts with the right relationship with Jesus Christ right now. If you want to make Jesus the Lord and the leader of your life, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud right now. Pray this, Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart. I ask that you would forgive me of every sin. I'm making you the Lord and the leader of my life, and I will live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Go Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at letsgo.church. You can also download our app from the App Store by searching Go Church. Have a great week, and God bless.